This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In a week where Manchester United once again remembers and pays tribute to the victims of the Munich air disaster, to those young footballers, the Busby babes who left the world in awe of their skill, it's been wonderful to see their legacy carried forward by a new generation. Goals scored by Marcus Rashford and Scott McTominay. Two from Alejandro Garnacho, but the one that stands out is another. Cobby Mine, who's Stockport-born, trained first at the cliff on the ground where the babes did exactly the same. And then at Carrington and Old Trafford. 18 years old and scoring a 97th minute winner for United with the deafness of touch of Zidane and a confident celebration of Ronaldo. That's probably enough hype for now. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. On today's show, we review a 3-0 win over West Ham, reflect on Molyneux midweek drama and discuss the enduring legacy of the Munich air disaster on the club today. We play guest the player, give you an extensive academy briefing, including two victories and loan news and a high-profile departure. We update you on the latest result for United Women and preview the men's first team's away match at Aston Villa in the Premier League. United looking for another win on the road. Let's begin. Comfortable, reassuring, plenty of joy and hope. I wouldn't say it was in your face inspiring and I wouldn't say it banished the many fears around this team, the manager and, and the future of that relationship. But this was very much a, a relaxing Sunday afternoon's victory and so on to say for Jack, wasn't it? Once the second goal went in, very much so. I thought yeah, it yeah. was a game that in the first half could have panned out very differently. But once Garnacho got that deflected, Second goal coming right off the back of Emerson missing that huge chance, which by the way was an absolute howler the way the way he went about trying to put that in. It, yeah, it became very comfortable after that. You know, having just conceded a two goal lead, albeit obviously still winning the game against Wolves a few days earlier, I thought United did really well to control the game once that second goal went in. It was it's actually a skill that we haven't seen United use much at all this season, partially because we haven't had many two goal leads, but when we have, we haven't protected them very well. You know, look at Copenhagen game, yeah. look at Spurs earlier on in the season. There's been a lot of occasions where, you know, we've 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 played well, but we haven't either put the ball in the back of the net enough to get into this position or when we have, we've let this slip. And so I thought the control that we showed was very good and it was lovely to get towards the end of a game, especially a home game, and and not feel you know, not not feel too worried about what was gonna happen. Yeah, but let's should we should we tackle that? Because Look, it's one game, isn't it? And we're, we'll we'll speak, we we'll, can reference Wolves as well because we didn't record immediately after that. That was a, a case of us, throw, well, were it not for the, the individual late brilliance of mine, it would have been us throwing away a very good performance and sacrificing a win for a draw. You then look at West Ham and as you say, they had chances. The difference was not, I know it felt more comfortable than many others and in the end, we kept the clean sheet. But you, you're still relying on, and I, I don't want to bring a massive down on things, but you're relying on an extraordinary Diogo Dalot block, which came out of absolutely yeah. nowhere. I was astonished by that. And I'm not sure you would have seen watching on TV, maybe on the replay as a second angle, but he was miles away. <laughs> that that felt like such a certain goal. And that's why it drew such an amazing reception from the crowd. A, a clinical finish from Garnacho, which as, as you said, we haven't been clinical enough at finishing off chances. That's one of the other reasons we've not been able to kill off games. This time, Garnacho was a bit of fortune with the deflection, but the the his second goal was a, a great finish. And he had, he and many others have messed up those chances in, in other games. And we still had, yeah, a, f- a few times where West Ham broke. We also still saw Ten Hag, even at 3-0, bringing on a centre-back at, at 
for uh, as a late sub, which was it always confuses me. And he did that against Wolves, and it didn't go particularly well there either. So, was this a was this different, or was just the result different? What do you think? Because I know it, I know it felt different, and and especially in Old Trap, there was still the nervousness, but you had where we haven't had before. You had those waves of attack, which are when you know when United are playing well because one attack goes and then it goes back to centre-back and you come again and you start, you get this, that's that when people talk about the Stretford and like sucking the ball into there, that's I think what they're talking about when it's that wave of attack and eventually it ends up in a goal. So it felt different, but, but was it? What did you think? I think the first half was quite similar to a lot of what we've seen for the rest of the season, really. I don't think we ever had that much control of the game. West Ham, you know, I don't think we were getting, we've definitely played worse and had opponents all over us more at home than we, we were, than West Ham were in the first half of this game. But I don't think we had great control. Even the first goal, you know, it wasn't against the run of play necessarily, but it felt like a fairly even game. West Ham had a few chances of their own. Every time the ball went out for a, a corner or they got a free kick, it was massive panic stations. It seemed like, you know, it's obviously a huge source of their goals. And again, that's, that's something we're, we are really poor at and this yeah, season has massively. cost us so much is, is giving away set pieces. Corners, like I don't mind when you defend, you're going to give away corners. Obviously you can try and give away fewer, but that that's generally, that's when you're trying to block a shot and it, it, yeah, there's less you can do. And we did that, sort but, that but out. Free kicks. We did sort that out to some degree in the second half, giving fewer of them away. But in the first yeah. half, I mean, giving Ward Prowse an opportunity to shoot from 25 yards in the middle of the yeah. goal. Like it, penalty, I mean, it's yeah. criminal. Yeah. So like, I don't think the first half was that different from what we've seen, but second half, I, I really do. I, even before the goal, I thought we started the, the second half well. Obviously they had that huge chance with Emerson and the, the other one from Bowen later on, but they, they were two, two sort of more freak moments rather than being reflective of West Ham having any sort of sustained That's true. attacks. Yeah. And it, it did feel like in the second half, there were moments where United, you know, we really weren't giving West Ham a sniff. I, the thing in the first half, you, know, you mentioned about, the Stretford and sucking the ball into the net, which is definitely does happen at times at United. I think the thing that you can sort of point to as evidence that this wasn't that different in the first half to other times during the season was, I mean, I, I don't know how widespread this was, Harry. It might have just been in a section of the ground that was being picked up a lot on TV. But I mean, you could hear a lot of groans in the first half as United slowed things down. I actually don't think we were doing the wrong thing. West Ham was sitting off us a lot and we were trying to sort of force them to come on to us to create a little bit more space. But at times when like Colby Mainu, Casemiro, Martinez were on the ball and, and really slowing things down on TV, you could hear groans and complaints from the crowd that we weren't moving the ball quick. We didn't have enough urgency. So I don't think the first half was that massively different to some of the performances that we've seen in the last few months. Yeah. I yeah, I don't think I noticed that around me, but I think the time where I felt that personally, I I, I believe it happened. I just I it wasn't so noticeable around me. I think when I felt that was actually at three nil up where we're slowing things down. And I think, I don't know, it's uh, as, as often the case with my opinions, a romantic view of, of football in United. But I've, I thought, especially on a day where the, the closest game to the anniversary of Munich, like the, the, the thing that inspired everyone in, in that Busby's team was that they went out to entertain and that was what he always told his players. And that was the point you're, you're there to inter, entertain the fans who have paid their money, who work on, on the shop floor and whatever. And at the end, the final five minutes, and I know they've had a, a quite a busy couple of weeks and under a lot of pressure and they probably just wanted to relax. But the final like five or 10 minutes, you thought, come on, lads, like go for it. You've, 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 you've got your confidence together now, go for it and, and try and make this four or five. And there, there was that a bit lacking, but that is, uh, yeah. But I was going to say that's high standards, but that's, that's exactly what they should be at United. So I think, I think Sir Alex would have, wouldn't have been happy with the, the we kind of took our, our foot off the, the pedal late on. But yeah, overall very good. And there were so many positives and Rasmus Hoyland's goal is, is the first one we should talk about because by the hell that was brilliant and the confidence to take it on but also you notice the confidence in all his other celebrations of all the goals even at Newport which made it made it 4-2 that was a, a celebration of relief and this one was just replaced by kind of a prepared idea it shows that he's he's relaxed and it's not surprising he's been involved in goals in I think every game since Boxing Day when he got his first one in the Premier League it's it's fantastic and the strike of, of that goal on his weak foot is 
a tasty sign of what's to come. I've got to be honest. I I've been I've been struggling more and more every game not to get overexcited about Rasmus Oiland. He he's he's great. <laughs> I and his performances have been great throughout the year. And I and you could see his confidence really starting to dip. We talked about this in sort of end of November, start of December sort of time that you could see as his confidence was dipping a little, his performances were dropping off. He wasn't as involved. And he's still, you know, he's still not the kind of striker that's going to play like Roberto Firmino and have a hundred touches a game, but we don't need him to be that. He's still, when he is involved, he's dropping deep. He's laying the ball back and spinning in behind. His movement is still very good. And you're starting to see some of that clinical nature to his finishing. Now, I think what we're seeing at the moment is a little bit of regression to the mean. I think he had the bad yeah. side of some some luck in the first half of the season where there's a lot of goals that he should have scored that he probably shouldn't and vice versa he's scoring some goals now that in other case, in other days wouldn't go in but i think overall you know what is i think he's up to around 10 goals for the it's season 10 now. exactly yep obviously a lot of those came in the champions league and he's been on a great run and with some proper service which has improved massively since garnacho has moved to right wing you know he's thriving absolutely thriving he, i mean he's so excited he just turned 21 and everything you're seeing are really positive signs. There's there's nothing more exciting to me in football than having a young striker that looks like they could be going places. And United, I mean, when was the last time United had a striker? Like, I mean, it would be Lukaku, but obviously was only here for a couple of seasons. Before that, you'd have to go back to Wayne Rooney, really, to the last time United had a young-ish striker who was really developing and could become something great. Obviously, had a lot of older strikers in the last decade or so. That's very true. And I think you're starting to see him relax in interviews now as well. Yeah. And I'm I'm so pleased about that because I, I did his first interview when he signed for United and you can tell when you like look in someone's eyes and there were a few things I took from that. One that he just, he properly was a United fan and loved it because you know a lot of people say I've always wanted to play for United but like when you're looking him in the eyes you can tell or not and he meant it and he was just desperate to get to Old Trafford and he's obviously loving playing for the club. But also the confidence beneath comes out a bit on the surface, but you know, when you can tell someone's just so sure of themselves and he was in the way that he, he walked around and spoke to people and the things that he said, then yeah, his mentality is, is absolutely there and credit to him because it was a really hard first few months and this was not the situation he was meant to be in. He was, he, I don't think he was signed as to be immediately United's main striker. He's had to do that all the while with loads of other stuff going around him, not even a settled front line because of the stuff with Anthony and then Jaden Sancho, then Marcus Rashford. So all of this, we should give credit to Garnacho and that he has been settled. Laurie Whitwell pointed out uh, after the West Ham game, Garnacho has now started 19 games in a row, very quietly. No one seems to notice, but that's, that's amazing. So credit to him as well. But yeah, I'm just really happy for Hoyland. And as you say, it's, it's, it's very exciting. This is a, a top player and everyone would have seen that picture Garnacho celebration with Hoyland and mine it's yeah that is the future they're, they're, what, do we, like, what do we want as football fans basically hope and so when you're looking at a season and the reason that this season feels so so down is because that hope's been missing even in the good moments so that when you've had say Scott McTominay's dub, incredible double against Brentford everyone is absolutely buzzing because it's incredible. That's what you go to the football for is those just ridiculous moments where all the air seems to leave your body and you, then you're floating on a cloud for <laughs> days after. But there was that underlying factor of that was another terrible performance. I don't, I, I feel buzzing, but not hopeful. Those three players, Hoyland, Garnacho and Mainu, how can you not be optimistic about them? All three of them are incredible for different reasons. And are showing themselves to be to be really likable as well so that's yeah it's enjoyable <laughs> yeah massively and obviously man united have a an, in, in, an even more special relationship to the to the youth team than most clubs do but even at any club seeing i don't think there's any feeling like seeing especially attacking players come through the academy yeah absolutely. making match winning interventions it, it's just it's brilliant like you said it's exactly what we why we watch football, why we love it for those kind of moments where you just think this is everything that my club is about, everything that I want from this club, a player that you can sort of relate to, that you can see has come through from the club from such a young age and is now thriving and on you know the biggest possible stage. 
I mean, Kobe Miner's winner against Wolves is one of the best moments I can remember as a United fan, honestly. And it obviously it's it's just in the middle of, middle of a season, a random game on a Thursday night at Molyneux in a you know just a regular Premier League game. But the meaning that that goal seemed to carry was huge. And I feel like it's been such an odd season in in so many ways because we've actually had loads of moments like that. Like you said, you mentioned the McTominay against Brentford. We've had the Onana last minute penalty save against Copenhagen. So many other late winners. And yet it feels like we haven't really been able to enjoy them because invariably we've followed them up with terrible losses. Which is why this week feels good. Yeah, exactly. You know, we can come on here and actually still revel in what we saw from Kobe Minor and other young players stepping up and getting, you know, brilliant goals and match-winning performances against West Ham because we've actually won a couple of games in a row. And it feels like some shoots of recovery are there, even even if I still think there's a long way to go for this team. That It's just, you're able to enjoy what are some of the things that we all want the most out of any season, any game of football, is to see players that we we love and are invested in making, you know, match-winning part, match-winning moments. Yeah, and the presence of Mainu and Garnacho and Mainu coming up big with some goal scoring there, but Garnacho also now in real scoring form is obviously partly why Hoyland is... It can can thrive more. I was just I was looking for a different reason, but I've just gone back to my notes from our second episode of of series nine, which was just after Hoyland signed, and I was going back for a different reason, which I'll come on to. But I've got a couple of notes to say about what kind of United need to provide to to make him successful, and one of the key points, as as is obvious, is that United needed goal scoring from the rest of the team to take the pressure off him a bit because the pressure was too big and and the we felt very much one goal scorer short and and that has been obviously been the case. We scored so few goals this season. We needed Rashford to maintain or better his contribution. That obviously hasn't happened. And then you needed big improvements from Garnacho, Sancho, Anthony. The latter two obviously haven't done that. We wanted Mason Mount to provide a few. He hasn't done that. Garnacho has stepped up now and Hoyland stepped up. But you also have got the return of Casemiro into midfield and that helps Kobe Minor to look good. So there's lots of factors that, that are behind this form improving. Um, the other reason I was going back to my notes because I remember us having a conversation about how many we wanted, how many we expected Hoyland to score. And because you said, as, as you pointed out, that's 10 goals now. You're looking for, for a debut season, you're looking at, 17 is very good. That's what Martial achieved. That's what Wayne Rooney achieved. Rooney in his second season, even in 48 games, scored 19 goals. It was only in his third season that he broke the that that kind of career-defining 20-goal mark. So if Oden continues like this, you'd hope he would get another seven goals this season. Then that's, uh, despite the, the difficulties of early on, that's a, a very good return. I mean, that, that would be brilliant. To be honest, I think, if we go back to the very beginning of the season, I think you would have said 15 goals would have been a, a really good start. That's what I think I was checking. I can't actually find what we said, but I think we both said 15 would be, would For, be As great. a 20-year-old striker, your first season in the Premier League, you know, Hortland admitted in the interview after the Wolves game, he said, you know, he's taken some time to get used to playing in the Premier League. Everything is faster and a little bit more physical. And it, I sometimes forget because... I think because I'm not used to United having such a young striker and also such a young player playing every single game as he is being forced to at the moment. He, he's been 20 years old. He just turned 21. You know, this is a player that has so much time still to develop. And he, he's not, he isn't a, a Wayne Rooney he's younger type. younger than like Joe Hugo. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and he also isn't, like there are some players like Wayne Rooney, for example, or even Garnacho, what he's doing now, who they've been playing first team football in Rooney's case since he was 16 and Garnacho's case since he, just turned 18 and they're playing almost every every week. Hoyland wasn't that. You know, he he's really only had one year in really top level leagues for half a season in Austria, then again in in Atalanta. You know, he, he's still fairly inexperienced at, at the top level and so he's still going to be learning every single game. I I think what we what he's shown in the last month has been so positive. I'm honestly I'm really really excited about what the future could hold for him. For him. I think he's got He's got a really good all-round game and I, I really do think that Garnacho deserves a lot of credit for his role in that too because I think yeah. him, his switch to the right wing, I mean, he's we we spoke about it recently that I think it was even last week we said, you know, more focus on Rashford and that can he be the kind of player that puts a lot of chances on a plate for Hoyland but, you know, Garnacho has very much taken over that that mantle 
he's been a chance creation machine since he moved to the right wing and, and actually really developed his game a lot in a way that, to be honest, I didn't think he could playing on the right. Yeah, the, the question for him is, can he continue to improve how he influences the game when it's a bit more compact? Yeah. He's obviously incredible on the transition as Rashford was when he was younger. Rashford last season showed an ability to beat people in tight spaces and to influence games when teams were sitting back. I don't think Garnacho has that yet. You, he, may, he may be able to have that like someone like Anthony should have or like most very good players by kind of long range shots, but that's that's not really what you're looking for. Strangely enough, you're looking for what the kind of stuff that Jaden Sancho could do, but wasn't doing enough of at United, which is the the relationships with fullbacks and strikers and midfielders to to play in tight areas. Something that Anthony can be good at, but just isn't isn't doing enough of. So I think that's probably one of the areas for for Garnacho to develop his game. But I'm just really confident he will because he's he's obviously him. It's funny, isn't it? For all the criticism we gave to Cristiano Ronaldo when he was here during the second spell or in his second season, our second spell, and rightly so. But you are now seeing the generation coming through who idolised Ronaldo and the mentality is incredible. And like the direct impact of, of Ronaldo's mentality and the way he spoke about it on Garnacho and Hoyland, two players who idolised him, like you can see it and... So there's going to be a lot more of these coming through, which I, I think is interesting. Because I guess who when when the previous idols, so I guess kind of for because you're a couple of years older than me, Rude, Ronaldinho, Kaka, would would that be right? Yeah, they they were incredible players, but they were the discussion was always on their skill rather than the mentality. Whereas now you. That everything with Ronaldo is about that that mental strength and, and players are, have learned off that so it's yeah it's pretty cool um, there is there is one one major downside isn't there Alessandro Martinez and this is the just as United are starting to get into a groove and as we've been waiting for players to come back and see I, I don't think we've, we've seen enough yet to suggest that Ten Hag is, has, has done enough this season so far there's still time but as he was saying, and as everyone was saying, when the good players came back, it would make things a lot easier and United would start winning. But just as we get into a groove, you get uh, potentially Martinez out for several weeks, maybe the season. It, Ten Hag sounded pretty negative, pretty pessimistic. So it's such a shame. Yeah, it's awful. I mean, you'd already seen in the in the couple of games that he'd been back how important Martinez is to us. I, I feel just so awful for him if it is as serious as it looked like it could be Look, I'm not an injury expert by any means. I'm, to be honest, quite confused at how serious the injury could be at this stage. It at first looked horrifically bad, the way that he went down and the way he was clutching his knee and the reaction of, of other players as they came over. The fact that he was then able to get up and come back on for a few minutes sort of calmed me down and, and he did walk off under his own power. But I've seen people with very serious knee injuries walk off themselves <laughs> before yeah, my, the adrenaline. my mate tore his, tore his ACL, MCL and his meniscus and carried on playing a game of rugby yeah. for ages. Adrenaline would make you do idiot, crazy but, things. <laughs> well, yeah, and, it, and his physio told him it was fine, which was a fairly major mistake. But I, I don't think United will have the same problem as that. <laughs> yeah, that's I hope, I hope. But yeah, you've seen his influence. He's, he's one of those, he's one of those core pieces, isn't he? Yeah. Of, of Martinez, Shaw, Casemiro and... Well, well, he, he makes probably. He makes other people better and more comfortable too. Yeah. Because it, you know, if he can come come in and be sort of that basic the, the sort of warrior type at centre back who's really in in your face and will step out with with forwards, it leaves someone like Maguire or Varane also, able to not have to do that role, and they can play on the right hand side the, of defense. the mentality. We were saying what two months ago, a month ago. Yeah. Where is all that passion in defence gone? And it's back. You're seeing them now celebrate tackles and I know there'll be cynics who say oh why are they doing that but that was part of the kind of good feeling around United last season was that there was there was intensity to everything we did and uh, and seeing Martinez is, is a key yeah I remember that. the I remember really the, the turning point of last season when we beat Liverpool at home it was him clattering into Salah after 30 seconds that kind of set the tone in that game and Dallow did it or I think Martinez did it actually with was it Firmino and, and Dallow did it to Salah but it was Martinez coming in and setting that tone as he did in pretty much every game that 
it carried us through a lot of those games last season. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll wait and see, but a real shame concerningly could have a massive impact on, on the rest yeah. of it. When you, we've just been speaking about hope <laughs> suddenly it's kind of halved yeah. because you think without his influence, this team can struggle. I, I mean, you've also just got to hope moving forward that, you know, both of these injuries that Martinez has had has, have been kind of freak accidents. One is his foot got stuck in the turf at Old Trafford against Sevilla. And then this one, yeah. it was, you know, Sufau landing on him in an awkward way. That doesn't suggest that at this point any worries about, you know, is he going to become a very injury prone player? He hasn't been throughout his career and it's not like he's, you know, tearing muscles left, right and centre like Martial, for example. No, but, but the, the concern is as, as someone, I can't remember who raised on the night we stand for him is, is he the type of player that gets injured a lot because of yeah. because he's so intense and aggressive and committed to every tackle, but is small? Does that put him at risk to injury? And does some do, sometimes does he need to not go into challenges where it's not essential because it, it, he might get injured, such as this one, which was by the corner flag and probably wasn't necessary? I don't know whether that's fair or not. I need to watch that tackle back because I actually haven't seen it back. But um, well, some yeah. some breaking news as we're as we're recording, Fabrizio Romano just tweeted that it's not an ACL for Martinez and that United hope to have him back after the international break in March. So a month and a half, two months, okay. it looks like it. I think I feel like that's a sort of middle of the road. It, it could have been a lot worse, but it could have been a lot better. Yeah, not great. Like there was, a, I, mean, I, I had some real worries it was a season ender well, when it happened. Yeah, but... At the moment, United have promised a lot of players coming back and then they've not come back for months after, like Mason Mount yeah, or Malassia. Well, and, and Martinez, Martinez himself, obviously, re-injuring the toe. So, we'll see. Let's have guest to play a clue one, please. You're saying for me this week, three clues on a past or present Manchester United player, a member of staff. The quicker you get it, the more points you get. Jack setting for me this week, so please fire away. Chronic migraine is 15 or more headache days a month, each lasting four hours or more. Botox, onabotulinum toxin A, prevents headaches in adults with chronic migraine. It's not for adults with migraine with 14 or fewer headache days a month. It prevents, on average, 8 to 9 headache days a month versus 6 to 7 for placebo. Prescription Botox is injected by your doctor. Effects of Botox may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Side effects may include allergic reactions, neck and injection site pain, fatigue, and headache. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Don't receive Botox if there's a skin infection. Tell your doctor your medical history, muscle or nerve conditions, including ALS Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome, and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. Ask your doctor and visit BotoxChronicMigraine.com or call 1-800-44-BOTOX to learn more. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, so first clue quite simply is I moved on loan from United to Borussia Ooh. Dortmund. Oh, I've, I might have it already. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll save it and we'll come back to it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have a think for what, what, yeah, I'll think while we come back to it in case I've misremembered that completely. But yeah, I'm, I might have it. Okay. Let's talk about Munich, the club remembering the Munich air disaster and the victims of it this week. I thought it'd be nice to talk about kind of what it means to us. Um, I remember when I started doing some freelance work for, United, uh, the the editor of the magazine said we'd be able to do something on why what what Munich means to you, given not only were you not alive for it, as most United fans weren't, but like your your parents wouldn't have been alive for it either, and yet it holds this incredible resonance with supporters, young as well as old, and and it does. It's it's, it's such a core part of the club's identity, and I think our identity as, as fans. Is that, is that something you've always felt too? Yeah, massively. I, I was lucky enough to be at the 50th anniversary of the 
Munich air disaster at the, the derby at Old Trafford where Austin City both wore jerseys rem- replicating what they looked like back in, in 1958. And it, it is, it's just something that I think stays with you every time you watch United and every time this time of year comes around. I mean, the story of it and how the club was rebuilt is, is quite incredible. And it's something that I think I, I, I actually give the institution of Man United quite a lot of credit for. I think retaining a lot of the spirit and values that were created around that time throughout everything. You know, we've, we've said plenty of times on here that I think what keeps us connected to this club is a feeling that it is somehow a little different and more of a, of a family and, and sort of an inward focused club in some ways that has been sort of ground away at over the last 15 years or so. But games like this with, with Academy products, coming and, and scoring and, and being huge players for Man United and seeing Old Trafford in raptures like that, it kind of reminds you of of what you're why you do all of this, why you care so much and, and why all these players fight for the badge in the way that they do. I, I don't think that the Munich air disaster and and the the values that came from it are something that we just remember once a year and then forget about for the, the other 364 days. It it does feel like it's something that runs through the fabric of the club at, at every turn. Yeah, and because it still has such a, it does have that legacy within the club. I've I've been doing a lot of work with the academy the last couple of years, and I've seen the under thirteens, for example, their education. Every age group has a an education project as well as their school. The under thirteens is Munich. So at the sixty fifth anniversary last year, one of their players read out a poem he'd wrote at the memorial in Munich, which is pretty special. But I've I've been at one of those sessions with Jimmy Murphy Jr., son of of Jimmy Murphy. And uh, Roy Kavanagh, who's a author of many United history books and a wonderful person and previous guest of this podcast. And his hearing Roy talk about those players is just an absolute privilege. And and those players were able to do that. Those under 13s, it's, it's at the core. But also when you travel around the world and there was a, a good, uh, good article in... Uh, featuring United Review this week, the match day programme about a supporter from Belgrade who basically supported United because of the obvious connection between the city of Belgrade, the home of Red Star, who United played in the quarterfinal before travelling home via Munich and and United. And it, it, you, you, you realise that enduring impact. There are so many Serbian supporters of United, Belgrade Reds. I visited Belgrade in the summer and even not United fans, but the respect for the club is is so great there and it's lovely. And while not quite as strong as a connection as with that city, you get that familiar feeling all over travelling with United. And I think it is a leftover from that time and the disaster. And, and there's so many supporters that it's what turned United into a, a global club. And for, it, it's obviously come about in, in a tragic way, but I think the, I think that's probably what makes it different is the fact that what made United global was, was this and not just success, which came after 99 and the kind of two defining events of United's history are 58 and 99 in terms of getting that global support, the older generation supported United because of after Munich and, and the response and the 10 year kind of rise from the ashes and the younger generation, most of them support United because they, they watched 99 and, and fell in love with the story. Uh, two, two incredible stories. So yeah, it's, it, you, you do feel it's, it's impact all the time and there can definitely be some overdoing of things around Munich and, and people with mad tattoos and showing off how they've paid their respects. And I think most people would prefer kind of a quiet moment of reflection, but I do think, as you say, the, the club approached the remembrance really well on the whole and things are done with class and um, they do have some making up to do. They treated the survivors and the victims' families quite poorly in the years that came after. So any effort to remedy that is great. But yeah, I do think things are, are generally done with class and it is always special being at Old Trafford. I'd have loved to be at the, the uh, 2008 game, but it's special being at those games at, at any time when the Flowers of Manchester's played. And... Um, and yeah, when you hear we'll never die ringing out around Old Trafford on, especially on that, at any time, but especially on that game, um, it is pretty special. Uh, I've, I've been doing some research around it as well for an article I'm doing for United Review, but I found uh, an article I thought I'd share because I just thought it was a lovely story. Um, I kind of related to what we're talking about. It's from the 7th of February, 1958, and it 
it starts like this. Instead of to the semi-finals, to death, with the speed of lightning, the tragic news of the Munich accident spread in Belgrade and throughout Yugoslavia. At first, nobody believed it, but later huge crowds of soccer fans came out on the streets. They gathered in front of the radio station and the news agencies to hear the latest news of the tragic crash and the destiny of their favourites, the babes of Manchester United. Nobody spoke about the match, only about the tragic crash in Munich in which the most eminent and attractive soccer team was involved. I won't read out the whole article, but this Yugoslav journalist writing for a British newspaper goes on to write with amazing emotion about having made friends with the players and with journalists like Tom Jackson from the MEN, George Follows from the Daily Herald, Archie Ledbrook from the Mirror, all of whom died as well. And he writes particularly poignantly about striker Tommy Taylor, making very close acquaintance with a young Red Star player, Sekula Ratch. And they made plans to go on holiday together on the Adriatic coast that summer. That's how strong their friendship was. And when Sekularak found out, he supposedly wept like a little child. And he wasn't the only one who promised to go on holiday to Yugoslavia. Tom Jackson had done so as well with this journalist. And I don't know, it was, just, it was, it was something I hadn't read before and really emphasised the, the kind of personal level of the disaster for so many. And and then you like you visit Belgrade now and you see that enduring respect and it is, it is incredible. Um, and yeah, I think you're right, Jack. The those values are what make United what it is. And I, I guess going back to reason for hope in the present day, it it feels like the new partial ownership definitely respect those values and want to put them at the heart of of what we do. I mean, that was in some ways part of the appeal of having someone like Dave. So not Dave, not Dave Brailsford of of Jim Ratcliffe being either as we thought initially full owner or partial owner as it is now in that, you know, yes, he's a businessman and, and obviously his priorities at this point are quite, quite far removed from being a a kid growing up in, in Manchester and being a United fan. But I think you've got to have more faith in him to instill and sort of protect some of those values than you would the Glazers or really anyone else coming from, you know, outside. It's just, and and that's not, you know, I, I live thousands of miles away from Old Trafford, so I'm not saying that you can't be a fan or you, you've, you're less of a fan for not growing up in Manchester or anything like that. But I do think that having followed the team from, you know, from childhood, it gives you a, a sort of different perspective and, and maybe a different sort of respect for what the club holds dear and what I think a lot of fans in Manchester, so especially match-going fans, really care about in terms of what they want the club to stand for. It's not just this relentless pursuit of success at, at the cost of everything else. You know, yes, it do, does need to be a relentless pursuit of success, but there are also some values to the club that should be held above that or at the very least on, on par with that yeah. pursuit. So what did, yeah, look at, um, so I've just been reading loads of newspapers from the days after look, the, the response to United to Munich was not to go out and buy a whole new team. And there was an interesting comparison between an English journalist and an Italian journalist in 58 because the whole Torino team was killed in, I think, either 1948 or 1949 in a disaster of even bigger uh, consequences because it was the entire team and, and staff and everyone. The only person who was left was the owner, actually, who'd missed who'd missed out on, on the game for, I can't remember whether he was ill or something else. Um, and they had to go out and, and buy loads of players. United did buy a couple. There was Stan Crowther from Aston Villa. Three lads from Bishop Auckland came in uh, on an amateur basis to play for the reserves. Um, and there were a few, Ernie Taylor as well. There were a few, but the, the there was a very clear message from the chairman, Harold Harmon, and from Jimmy Murphy that, yes, they would buy where necessary, but Shea Brennan steps in, Mark Pearson steps in. Um Bobby Harrop comes into the team, Freddie Goodwin, Ronnie Cope, and then obviously Bobby Charlton comes back and then you start bringing through the next generation, Nobby Styles, Alex Dawson comes into the team. The, the point was the, the, the faith in youth before allowed United to recover while staying true to those principles from before. And I think that's what's so, that's why it's so important. So you're absolutely right. That that's, I think that's the, the key message in, in the modern era. And it's hard, right? It's a hard balance because everything, everything that is happening in the game is sort of pushing you away from that. You know, there is so much money involved. The, the need to win and to win now is so great. And both players and 
coaching staff and also people at high, higher offices of the club, like the owners and executives, will feel pressure to forget some of those things and to just go on a pursuit of success at all costs. And that's where the institution and sort of the institutional history of, of the club carries so much weight in sort of reining some of that in. And it's why I think United have always been a, a team that has thrived when there's been a lot of stability in a in the manager role and when there has been a group that is maybe not primarily, but has a, a large proportion of the playing staff who are have come through the academy and understand what it means to be a, a Man United player. You know, we aren't a club like, say, a, a Chelsea who has thrived despite instability at, at various times. It's not who United is. Oh, I think yeah. this is part of it. It's because... We're terrible there is such, with instability. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this before, that it, it's a sort of strange anomaly that of the two big post-war periods of success in, in United, they've coincided with all, all of, pretty much all of United's success post-war has come in two periods that have been defined by, you know, one manager in each case. And obviously not the same group of players, but at various times during those eras, yeah, very stable groups of players. And the lessons to learn from that related to this, but also what you were saying just at the start there, is if you were, if I was trying to convince the kind of modern executives at United of the importance for this, it's not that Bosby didn't do these things just out of principle. It was a belief in long-term success. And so that's, that's the argument for it in the modern day is it's not just, oh, we want to win in a certain way. It was, he firmly believed. It's why there was a point where the United president, James Gibson, in which in the first few years of, of Busby being there, uh, shouted at him one point and said, why I'm giving you money. Why won't you sign anyone? And Busby said, because that's not, that's not how I want to do it. I want to create my own players and mold them and, and have a long-term successful youth system that is at the heart of the club. And that's why United could recover after Munich. And that's why that success blighted by Munich, though it may have been. And so it was, only a few titles and one European Cup instead of what could have been five European Cups or whatever. But that's why success could last for so long. And it's exactly the same with Sir Alex. The first thing he comes in, in to do is change the culture, yes, but also to kind of revitalise that that youth system because it, it gives you long-term success by sticking to principles rather than short-term success that might then fall apart later on. So that's, that's the modern argument for it, isn't it? And one I, th- I hope that Ineos will buy into, but but yeah, we'll we'll see on that front. Should we have um, anything else, or should we have guests to play a clue two? No, I think you summed it up great. Okay, clue two. Oh, I've, I've sh- I might have to give you a guess. So I'm typing it into WhatsApp now, so you can go ahead with two uh, clue two. Okay, so clue two is my only international goal came against England in the 2018 World Cup. Okay. I think. Has that made you more confident? Uh, not more confident, but not, it doesn't ruin my answer. <laughs> okay. You you should have it now. Yeah, so I you do. Can tell me. Okay. Tell me if it's correct, but don't say, tell the listeners who it you is. You are correct. Okay. Fantastic. I can relax for clue three then. Clue three will come after the patron Q&A and after an academy briefing. And then we'll be talking about the Aston Villa match away in the Premier League. So patron Q&A for our patrons. If you want to join them, go to patreon.com forward slash United Weekly Podcast and an ad break for everyone else. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. 
New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for the Academy Briefing on the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. And let's begin with the first team, because in a week where the club has remembered and paid tribute to those young footballers, the Busby Babes, who left the world in awe of their skill, it has been wonderful to see that legacy carried forward by a new generation. Following goals from Marcus Rashford and Scott McTominay, midfielder Cobby Mayan, who came up big late on at Molyneux, scoring a 97th minute winner to down Wolverhampton Wanderers. He was teed up for the goal by Amari Forson, 19, who was making his Premier League debut after two games in the FA Cup. The last three 90th minute winning goals now in the Premier League by players aged 18 years old or younger have all come from graduates of United Academy. Marcus Rashford against Hull City in 2016, Alejandro Garnacho against Fulham in 2022 and now Cobby Minor against Wolves in 2024. First team manager Eric Ten Hag spoke of watching Minor for the first time last autumn and he said, I thought he was playing too comfortably in the under-21s and that he should be much more dominant, so we pushed him a lot. It's a a powerful reminder that the headline-making moment everyone sees comes only after years of hard work. Tenag went on to say he's made such good progress, it is wonderful to see. I looked back in my notes from a year ago after reading those quotes from Tenag and was surprised, to be fair, to find this line where I'd written, he did well starting against Charlton, but still needs lots of game time, which isn't guaranteed on loan. He's only 17, and while he's done very well in the under-21s, he's not completely dominating games, and there's much to learn by playing at that level. That, of course, did soon change, and I think Mino had the same step to make in the first team. His first few appearances were a good grounding, but timid in comparison to what we're seeing now. He really is controlling games, and his goal against Wolves was obviously special but it did remind me of a, a lesser strike but one that was sign of positive things to come in a friend against Cadiz in December last year and this is what I wrote at the time for United We Stand that goal against Cadiz would have been a real eye-opener into what kind of player we're talking about here for those who haven't watched him much in the past the shot was fine and needed a deflection to find the back of the net but it was a few touches before that showed all you need to know about him a left foot touch on the spin two pieces of close control with his right a larger punch forward to create space and a left footed shot it's the variety of touches there that impresses the speed at which he can pull the ball in and poke it out all the while seeming in complete control. It's a good example of what he's about, technical quality and abundance, control and composure in tight spaces, balance and poise. It's that ball on a string quality that makes it clear that this is a player who has to feature high up the pitch. That doesn't mean he has to be a number 10, but whatever his midfield role going forward, he needs to have that freedom to thrive further up the pitch. He'll need to continue refining his strength and balance to cope with the hefty challenges of men's football. As for mentality, Cobby seems well grounded. He speaks very well and takes things very seriously. Some young footballers will mess about. Some young footballers will mess about during interviews or media training. Others will close up or be nervous. Cobby does neither. He appears to have been ready for the attention he's getting for a long time, and that maturity shows on the pitch. He's unruffled by hard tackles and has a consistency to his performances. That's always a positive sign at this age. I think that the what I was writing there gives a, a good insight into the fact that what we're seeing now is nothing new. And that's why I'm, I'm looking back at these notes and, and saying it here, because I think it's a really positive sign that this is not a, uh, this is not a one-off or just a good spell of form. This is a, the, the foundations of this good form stretch back many, many years into the past. Later in the week, Alejandro Garnacho scored an Old Trafford double, reminiscent of that he scored in the 2022 FA Youth Cup final at the same ground to help United defeat West Ham 3-0 in the Premier League. Elsewhere in the competition, Jack Harrison scored for Everton and fellow graduates Danny Welbeck at Brighton and Andreas Pereira at Fulham contributed excellent assists. 
down to the under-18s now and there's been two games at Carrington in the last week and two wins. It was a captivating game on Tuesday night. United coming from behind to finish 4-3 winners over Liverpool. Goals from Ethan Wheatley, Jace Fitzgerald, Ethan Williams and James Scanlon. And a record-breaking winning run in the league is now extended to 14 games with 46 goals scored and only 10 conceded. It's particularly impressive, as I've said a few times on this podcast, because of the number of players used and the changes made each week. There were several real moments of quality on display against Liverpool, including Ethan Wheatley inventive takedown in the box and a really clever volley not the kind of goal you, you often see but I think most important in that performance was United's intensity throughout the game while Liverpool tired late on and a similar trend was on show I was at Carrington on Saturday morning to watch United against Arsenal in the under 18 Premier League Cup quarter final goals came from Jack Kingdon Ethan Williams double and Louis Jackson in a 4-2 win. United showed better fitness, had more high-quality options off the bench and adapted well to the game. It finished 2-2 in normal time. United scored twice in extra time and managed the final minutes perfectly. They really frustrated Arsenal, so much so that the Gunners' left-back was sent off for an out-of-control challenge, a second booking that was clearly out of frustration. The best goal from United's perspective came from Ethan Williams, his second It was somewhat similar to Rasmus Hoyland's against West Ham, actually, with a little less venom in the strike, but the way that he was taking on a couple of defenders and shifted it from either foot and finished from about the edge of the box. So that was a a really impressive goal. In loan news, the following players are all out on loan now, and I'll read through them to remind you. Sonny Aldrofri at Altrium, Reese Bennett at Stockport County, Alvaro Fernandez at Benfica, Will Fish at Hibernia, Dan Gore, Port Vale, Joe Hugo, Burton Albion, Sam Mother Rochdale, Sam Murray Rochdale, Maxi Oedeli, Forest Green Rovers, Radek Vitek, the goalkeeper at Quinton Stanley, and another goalkeeper, Tom Worcester at Macclesfield. Al Joffrey, Sam Mother, Sam Murray, and Tom Worcester are all on what they're calling non-traditional loans. Basically, they're registered with these clubs to complement appearances for the under-21s because there are only nine guaranteed games left in the under-21s Premier League 2. There's a potential of 17 in the National League. This is something that Joe Hugel and Maxi Oledeli did something similar at Altrincham last year. They're now out on full loans elsewhere. So I would expect Mother and Al Joffrey especially to get full loans next season because they've been developing well. So this is good preparation for them. Coming up this week, the under-21s take on Southampton in a Friday 7pm kickoff in Premier League 2. And the under-18s travel to Derby County, a midday Saturday kickoff, both games live on MUTV. The final thing to go through is a departure, actually. Isaac Cantonaran, who's 19, left United to join Werder Bremen on deadline day. And there was plenty of attention around this because he's a, a highly rated player and a lot of people will have seen him in the under-21s. He's an entertaining player. So I thought I'd run you through some context. I did this on Twitter. I thought I'd run you through it as well. He basically arrived at United on uh, in, in a summer of 2020. It was a summer of high-profile youth transfers. That included Alejandro Garnacho, Willy Cambuala, Mark Carrado, Radek Vitek, Joe Hugo and Charlie McNeil. You'll recognise all almost all of those names. In United We Stand back in 2023, I wrote, uh, Dan is carbon fibre, Isaac Hansen Aaron can weave the highest quality silk. His passing between the lines is excellent in all of timing, vision and execution. Kobe Minor is Ten Hag's favourite of that, there is no doubt, but the other two have a chance at United. And I did think Hansen Aaron had a chance at United, but he's a difficult kind of player to bring through. And there have been other issues. We'll get onto that. But United worked very hard to sign Hansen Aaron. So this decision didn't come lightly. They beat Liverpool, Everton, Juventus and Bayern Munich to his signature. The club travelled to his home in northern Norway. The family are very touched by that effort. They were also touched by Christmas cards sent to their home and by calls from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Ole and his mum would often chat and Isaac remembered his mum always being in charge of the conversation and that relationship with Salsa developed when Isaac came over for trials or for training before his official move Ollie would invite him for dinner to help him settle in but then, like Garnacho and Willy Kambala, Hansen Aaron then signed for United during COVID, which made things hard to settle with bubbles and distancing. He actually went back to Norway for a few months at one point, but he did eventually settle and then flourished. He was key in the 2022 FA Youth Cup win. You'll probably remember some of his performances there alongside Dan Gore and Kobe Mainu. There were three very talented midfielders. And at the time, and I think what most people would have seen, everyone would have seen that in the final, Kobe Mainu was the gem in a very good generation. but. Hansen Aaron is a really, really nice player to to watch. So why is he leaving United? Well, reports suggest there were continued disagreements on a new contract. His agent's Jim Solbakken, who's fairly aggressive in negotiations. That partly explains why Dan Gore and Omari Forsen have been given chances when Hansen Aaron was not. The other context that's necessary is United have been stung by working hard to develop players before and only getting compensation when they leave on a free age 19 to 21. They clearly thought Hansen Aaron wasn't going to sign a new deal, so they've made sure he's left before so that he can get something. 
a fee from Wolfsburg higher than compensation, but also add-ons and crucially a sell-on clause as well. So it, it definitely makes sense. He's a really fun player to watch and hopefully he does well in Germany. Excitingly, his departure opens up a regular spot in United's under-21s team and possibly in first-team training as two. So there's a big opportunity there for someone younger to start getting those chances. Perhaps Jack Fletcher, who's progressing well since his summer move from City. Perhaps a mixture of these young players because there's a really nice generation coming through in the under-16s, 17s and 18s at the moment. So one of those will get the opportunities that Hansen Aaron was being given, which is fantastic. Okay, Jack, let's have guest to player clue three. Then we'll have a quick update on United Women and then we'll preview Aston Villa away. Okay, so clue three is, so you've already texted me and got it right, which we'll reveal afterwards. The final clue is, I was given my debut for Man United under David Moyes and I later played for two other clubs that he has managed, although he was not my manager while I played there. Good clue. So I was given my debut at Man United by David Moyes and I would later play for two other clubs that he has managed, but he was not my manager while I was there. Yeah. Good clue. I'm pleased I got this first time because I know you were trying to trip me with Jane Sancho. <laughs> well, we talked about we talked about this player last week, and I was trying to to somehow sneak a clue in that you might not get. <laughs> you so know what's mad? Please reveal. Is, oh, go on. Is I've is I I forgot about that. No, we'll we'll reveal it right at the end to leave give give people some thinking time. I'd forgotten that <laughs> that we'd spoken about that, so I'm even more pleased. All right. Quick update on Manchester United women who notched a second consecutive victory with a 2-0 win over Brighton and Hove Albion at home at Lee Sports Village on Sunday lunchtime. And another brace from Nikita Paris. Two first-time efforts, one in each half, both set up by the irresistible Geza Ferreira. Nikita Paris has eight goals in the WSL now and is United's top goal scorer. And victory keeps United just in touch of the top three and restores calmness after a turbulent few weeks. United beat Aston Villa 2-1 a week ago and now Brighton 2-0. That followed defeats to Manchester City away, Chelsea away and Liverpool at home. Elsewhere in the league, Arsenal suffered a shock defeat to bottom half West Ham, fifth and sixth place. Liverpool and Spurs drew, leaving United five points ahead of them both. The Reds are four points behind third place Arsenal, with City three ahead of them and three further ahead of them are leaders Chelsea. United won't win the league. That much has been clear for some time, unlike last season where they challenged. As things stand, top three is unlikely, but these two wins help. My prediction at the moment will be no, very unlikely, but with Arsenal slipping up, Let's see. Okay, Jack, Aston Villa on Sunday. We had a question in the Patreon Q&A saying, uh, talking about the exciting things of, of the Wolves and West Ham games and, and saying this is excitingly sustainable. And we kind of gave, cast our doubts on that. It's exciting, but I don't know if it's sustainable, particularly with the news about Martinez. Villa can have, have, haven't been quite as consistent in the last few weeks, but can be electric in the way they play. They have players who I think match up against ours quite well in terms of the damage that they can cause in Douglas Louise and Ollie Watkins and, and a few others. Are you confident for this? I'm not particularly. No, I'm not, to be perfectly honest. I obviously have some bad memories of going to Villa Park last season. That was sort of actually a, a real turning point for our season. We got played off the park pretty comprehensively against Villa and then went on a really long unbeaten run, obviously hoping this time that we can just win at Villa Park. I mean, Villa themselves are in a little bit of a strange run of form, really. They had a couple of of nil-nil draws, then lost to an injury-ravaged Newcastle team, but then put four past Sheffield United inside half an hour at the weekend. So it's a little bit up and down for them at the moment. I think they're a team that can be got at, as we saw in the game at Old Trafford. You know, we had about 55 offsides in the first half, but then eventually got our act together and managed to put some fairly easy balls over the top, which I think will be, again be how Ten Hag looks to attack them. I expect this to be a game where we don't see too much controlled possession. Villa are a very good pressing team. I don't think we, especially without Martinez, are going to have the ability to continue to keep the ball under that kind of pressure. But I think you'll see us look to go along with diagonals over the top and stretch Villa's defence and take advantage of, of their high line. have to be clinical. We saw, we spoke earlier that Garnacho, the part of the, the reason that we didn't throw this game against West Ham away compared to Wolves. I know we ended up winning, but we kind of did throw it away only for, for Miley to save the day. But 
Garnacho was clinical with his second finish. Hoyland was obviously with a, a just unbelievably good goal. I think you're right that possession won't be there in, in great deals and chances won't be there in great deals. So you need to finish well. The hope is with Rashford having scored this week and with Garnacho having scored a couple and, and with Hoyland having scored a couple, that's, you've, you've got some proper confidence there. And so you'd back us to now start finishing much better than we have been before. Yeah. And, and also a little bit more confidence that we will create chances through other means against Villa. I still do think that going long over the top will be our main source of getting forward to here. But I think what you've seen over the last few weeks is that, albeit, you know, two of these games have been against Wigan and Newport, but you started to see United create more from structured attacking phases. That was something we really struggled with. And it felt like for half the season, our pretty much our only route to goal was transitions. That has changed to some degree. It feels like we are starting to get better. I think Garnacho has been a big part of that, him playing on the right. So I, I do think that United can have some success here, but I'm also worried about what's coming the other way. Because in, you know, Bailey, Watkins, Douglas Louise in midfield, John McGinn gets forward really well. Also the threat from fullback. Yeah. You know, Villa have I'd a I'd not be surprised with another high scoring game. Yeah, not at all. Which feels kind of the, the modus operandi for United at the moment is score a few, but it's, fu- it's funny how much that's changed. I know, yeah, it's crazy. You know, we went, what was it, four games without scoring? Yeah. We've now scored 19 in seven, <laughs> but also conceded 11 in those seven games. Yeah, and still got negative goal difference in the Premier League, which is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. In terms <laughs> of team, Martin is injured, of course. But unchanged apart from that, you would expect. Yeah, I, I think so. I don't see any any real reason to change. And we talked about this a little in the Patreon Q&A, but in terms of replacing Martinez, Shaw is kind of the closest copy in terms of that ability to play out. But is that what you'd go with here? I think I was saying that when, when Malassi is back, that's probably something you'd go for. But at the moment, you could do with Shaw on the left because he makes, he makes Rashford a much better player. And... Yeah, do you want him there against this Aston Villa attack against someone like Ollie Watkins? Possibly not. No, I think I'd go probably Maguire and, well, I was going to say Maguire and Varane, but it actually wouldn't surprise me if it's Maguire and Lindelof because Ten Hag seems to, uh, of the right-footed centre-backs that we have, Ten Hag seems to trust Lindelof the most to play on the left side of, at left centre-back. I, I personally would keep Shaw at left-back in this game. I'm... As much as I I think Shaw is very, very good at left centre-back, I think what you lose by having, let's say, Dallow at left-back and then Wambasaka yeah. right-back is more than what you gain from having Shaw over Lindelof, for example, at left centre-back. Although the benefit of Dallow at right-back from Tedai's perspective is that ability to play midfield. But in this game, away from home against the quick Aston Villa side, maybe he might like... Wambasaka's quality on transition and, and tackling ability effectively, which is his his main main thing. So I think generally the team picks itself with a, aside from that one replacement, which is a relief after many weeks of it it not doing so and us getting two injuries per game. So just the one this time, which is a small improvement. Can you reveal the answer to guess the player, please? Or I can reveal it for you. Yeah, go on then. So the answer is, and I'd completely forgotten that we promised this would happen at the end of last week's episode, but the player who's been on loads of Borussia Dortmund, the player was given his debut by David Moyes in 2013. And then, I'm trying to remember all the clues here, and then played for two clubs also managed by David Moyes, but not under David Moyes. And the player who scores his only international goal against England at the 2018 World Cup is Adnan Yanisai. So for the second week in a row, I said yeah. it felt like we often ended episodes talking about it on the other side and it's, it's, <laughs> I've manifested it. It's come true. Um, but yeah, a but you, I knew play. that you would get Yanazai very quickly, but I was hoping that I might be able to sneak that Borussia Dortmund one What's really you. strange is I didn't even think about Jadon Sancho, which is kind of an apt summary of his United career. But for some reason, it, I guess probably in my subconscious, I had remembered last week's conversation, just forgotten it at the front of my brain. But so when he said, I'm to Borussia Dortmund, I thought immediately, Adnan Yanisai. And then I had to remember if that had actually happened or not, because it yeah, kind of slipped, slipped away. But yeah, great player for a season or two and a litany of amazing songs about him, which I have very fond memories of singing all of in Donostia San Sebastian at Real Sociedad away, going through the whole Adnan Yanisai songbook after United had won but gone out of the Champions League so yeah 
good player. Anyway, that's all we have time for. We've been talking for a long, long time, but I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. For more for the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate's T-A-I-T and you can join me at Harry Robertson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod if you've enjoyed the show please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen on it's really helpful for, for growing the listenership which is always good for us uh, but otherwise have a fantastic week enjoy the game against Villa on Sunday and we'll speak to you very soon goodbye Network. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.